Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for your word. And as we think on these things, open our hearts and our minds to hear. Amen. Hear now a reading from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 16, verses 5 through 8. For thus says the Lord, do not enter the house of mourning, or go to lament, or bemoan them. For I have taken away my peace from this people, says the Lord, my steadfast love and mercy. Both great and small shall die in this land. They shall not be buried, and no one shall lament them. There shall be no gashing, no shaving of the head for them. No one shall break bread for the mourner to offer comfort for the dead, nor shall anyone give them the cup of consolation to drink for their fathers or their mothers. You shall not go into the house of feasting to sit with them to eat and drink. The word of the Lord. Now, I have sung at funerals since I was 12. It was a, a, an early childhood capitalistic venture. Uh, and this, I have also sung at weddings, uh, but funerals tended to pay better. And so that might sound like a callous thing to say, but in my experience, this makes perfect sense. Sorrow is a far costlier, more taxing emotion than joy. And so in all my years singing at funerals, I've been privy to a lot of different displays of grief and mourning. And while everyone does seem to process death a little differently, each funeral I've ever participated in does follow a particular rhythm and a particular series of moves. First, there might be a wake, and then the following day there might be the funeral. Then immediately following the funeral, depending on what the family has decided to do with the body, there might be a burial. And then finally, after the burial, there might be a reception with a meal at someone's home. So this is all to say, even if we aren't always very good at dealing with the inner emotional work of losing someone close to us, at least we sort of know how to perform death publicly. That is, we know how to mourn. We know what actions we're supposed to take, and these ingrained ceremonies and habits keep us going when the world has seemed to stop moving. These rituals of mourning are long ingrained in our human hardwiring. Maybe unsurprisingly, a lot of these rituals have to do with food. But these rituals go far beyond just organizing a meal train for the family of the dead. Food actually structures and outlines quite a bit of our earthly mourning. For example, there are entire recipe books dedicated to the best foods specifically for grieving people. Or take as another example the collective memory that recipes can uphold. I have a few friends who make their mom's favorite ice cream sundae on the anniversary of her death every year. Eating, my friends say, is a way to remember the dead. 
And as Ellen Kanner, a food blogger, wrote on the connection between food and mourning in her essay, Brisket in Bereavement, she wrote, in grief, your carefully constructed life crashes away, leaving you exposed and raw and helpless as a newborn. The bits of you that ought to be open are obstructed. The pain of loss dulls your senses, creates a force field around your body, makes, it, makes you impervious to the world around you and especially impervious to its pleasures. You shut down. Maybe that's why in the wake of death, feeding those who mourn is part of our human hardwiring. It's not a matter of feeding hunger, it's about tempting and coaxing and calling the grieving back into the world. To eat is to engage and to strengthen and to unwrap from that first layer of sorrow's embrace and partake of the life force. Food quite literally brings us back to life and a good example of this is in the ideology which undergirds El Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead. And for those unfamiliar with the holiday, it's a traditionally central and southern Mexican holiday, although it's also celebrated in many Catholic cultures in uh, Italy and Spain. And this holiday honors the dead each year, sort of as a form of extended mourning and celebration. And in addition to the complex and beautiful altars that, the, that families make to welcome the dead back into their lives for 24 hours, family members also make food to welcome back their deceased relatives. Notably, families leave sweet pan de muerto, literally bread of the dead, for their relatives. And this pan de muerto is actually really interesting. A study done by two scientists in 1989 showed that there is a unique link between bread and grief. And literally nobody was surprised by this study. Their research showed that bereaved people crave carbohydrates. They argued that carbs might help us produce the happy hormone serotonin, which will increase our energy supplies, each of which decline during periods of depression. In extreme and sudden periods of depression, like mourning, our carbohydrate cravings skyrocket. Or in other words, there's a reason why all of those grief cookbooks have pictures of bread on the cover and not broccoli. So if mourning rituals are so crucial to our processing of death, and if bread in particular is the food mourners crave, why on earth does God violate those rituals of mourning in God's instructions to Jeremiah? Why does God say no one shall break bread for the mourner to offer comfort for the dead? Jeremiah's prophecy is, uh, it's a difficult one for me. It's, it's dark and it's intense and I think it, it feels really relevant today. Israel has been disobedient to God and worshiping incorrectly and failing to care for the needy in the nation. There is not justice in the land. And so throughout the whole book, there's a lot of mourning going on. There's a lot of sadness and it, it goes both ways. 
Earlier in, in Jeremiah's prophecy in chapter 6, God, speaking through Jeremiah, calls Israel to be a mourner. God says to them, O oh, my poor people, put on sackcloth and roll in ashes. Make mourning as if an only child has died, the most bitter lamentation. God wants Israel to mourn what they've done and who they've become. And then later, God, speaking through Jeremiah again, self-presents as a mourner, saying, My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick. For the hurt of my poor people, I am hurt. I mourn, and dismay has taken hold of me. Both Israel and God are mourning. But what does that mean? What does it mean that both Israel and God are mourners? And more specifically, what does it mean that Israel and God are mourning each other? Well, if God is a mourner, then it might be because we are dead. And if we are the mourners, then it, it would follow that it might be because God is dead, or God might as well be dead to Israel. But that can't be right, right? That would imply God is not with us. That would imply that God might not be Emmanuel. And so that doesn't feel right to me. That doesn't ring true. That doesn't sound like the God I know in my bones. But even if we can agree that there is a lot of sadness going on, even if we can agree that everybody is having a hard time grieving this distance that might as well be death, why does God forbid Jeremiah from practicing such basic human instincts? Why does God forbid Jeremiah from partaking of bread, the very thing mourning people crave, as he mourns Israel. Per Jewish mourning customs, as Jeremiah was Jewish, there are a highly ritualized set of ceremonies that mourners are supposed to go through. They are called to participate actively in their grief through a series of steps. A second ago, the verse I just read mentioned sackcloth and ashes, which were special outward signs of grief, like wearing black might be for us today. But there was also a detailed funerary process, which involved cleaning the body and processing with the body to the funeral, and finally, the burial. And after the burial, a process of comforting the mourner would begin. The first stage of this mourning is called Shiva, which means seven, and it's the first seven days after the burial. It includes what's called a condolence meal. This is the meal eaten immediately after the family returns home from the burial. And I wonder if this is the meal God is prohibiting Jeremiah from eating when the text says, thus says the Lord, no one shall break bread for the mourner to offer comfort for the dead, nor shall anyone give them the cup of consolation to drink for their fathers or their mothers. 
The whole point of this spiel is to point out the significance of the burial in Jewish mourning practices. It's the crux, it's the tipping point. You can't start the healing or the comforting until after the body has been buried. And most importantly, you cannot have the meal of condolence until after the burial. But we know verse 6 tells us that there will be no burial. Jeremiah says, both great and small shall die in this land. There shall be no burial. And so I wonder if the significance of this is that maybe God tells Jeremiah that he is not to break bread, the meal of condolence for Israel, because though they may be dead to God, they have not yet been buried. If the meal of condolence is the first thing to be done after the burial, then maybe they cannot yet eat the bread for the mourner and the cup of consolation because the burial hasn't happened yet. It's not yet time for a comforting meal, or to say it another way, maybe there is hope for us yet. I wonder if God prevents Jeremiah from the bread of mourning because it was not yet Israel's time to die that final death, to be mourned in such a final way. Maybe it's not yet time to break bread for Israel because God hasn't buried them yet. Maybe when God withholds the bread, as awful as it is that God does that, maybe God is saying, as God sometimes does, this death is not yet final. Don't you know what I can do when the body hasn't yet been buried? Because that is what I know to be true. God is not one who withholds bread forever. God might even be the one who turns the condolence meal, the bread of mourning, the bread of the dead, into the bread of life. We are in our second week of Lent the season of liturgical mourning. We are called to mourn our own mortality and our sinfulness and the old world and remember our destiness, just as Jeremiah called Israel to mourn their distance from God. But after 40 days of mournful Lent, we will be met with a meal we remember the Last Supper on Monday Thursday when Jesus gave his disciples a condolence meal, breaking bread for the mourner to offer comfort for the dead and a cup of consolation to drink for their father. The Gospel of Luke tells us when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and Jesus said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. 
When Jesus gave them bread at the Last Supper, I wonder if he was trying to coax and tempt and call us back to life, back to the world for which we were made. Maybe this is why all throughout our Lenten journey, our mournful Lenten journey, we crave the ultimate life force, a carbohydrate, the bread of life. And so I read that text from Jeremiah again, and I hear God saying, don't break it just yet, Jeremiah. Don't break it just yet. Give me a few days. I know you crave it, and I know you're hungry for it, but I might be able to turn this condolence meal into a communion meal. I might be able to take your grief and turn it into a craving. I might even be able to become the very thing you crave, your comfort, your sustenance, your bread. Wait and see. Pray with me. God, we know you mourn us. We are prone to wander and prone to forget. We do not keep your word and we do not keep your company. We lament these things this Lent. But we praise you that you are the thing which we crave in our own mourning, the food that will keep us going. Lord, we know what you can do with some bread while we wait for it to rise. In the name of this risen bread, we pray. Amen.